We know you are with us, O God, yet we still await your coming. In the darkness that contains both our hopelessness and our expectancy, we watch for a sign of your hope. Open our hearts and minds to the light that is your word. Amen. Our first scripture lesson comes from the prophet Isaiah chapter 62, verses 6 through 12. The prophet writes, Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have posted sentinel. All day and all night they shall never be silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest, and give him no rest, until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it renowned throughout the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink the wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones. Lift up an ensign over the people. The Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to daughter Zion, See, your salvation comes. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. They shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken." And this word from the gospel to John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the light was the light of all the people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe in him. John himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, the world that came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people, did not accept him, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I can remember on family vacations playing a particular set of games. Most of our family vacations were car trips to not so scenic places. It was often to go see grandparents uh, or family. So the places where I found myself going as a child on vacation was not Waikiki or Washington, D.C., but Jasper, Alabama. That's where grandmother was. Sometimes Long Beach, New Jersey. 
not bad, but oftentimes, Jasper, Alabama. And having been a precocious child, you know, uh, one who had a hard time sitting still or staying focused or, or not using all of the words that I thought God had given me at that moment, at that time, in the back seat of the 1979 Caprice Classic Chevy station wagon. You know, uh, just a little interlude here. I called my mother, um, uh, let's see, uh, in the spring when I was diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. I called and told her I was so excited. I had a label for kind of who I was. I said, hey, mom, I have ADHD. And she said, uh-huh. <laughs> you see, the games that we would play, one of them was called the silent game. <laughs> You've played it too. The silent game was really interesting. It was um, often said with a little bit of exasperation, <sighs> we're going to play the silent game. Let's see how long you can stay silent. Now everybody would play in the car, right? And I wouldn't necessarily win, but I'd come in fourth. <laughs> there were four of us. Now this led into, from the silent game, into other games, like um, Connect a Rear. Uh, it, actually, back in those days, we called it Connect a Butt, but apparently you're not supposed to say that word uh, in the sanctuary. So Connect a Rear, right? That's where this part of your body had to stay on the seat in the 1979 Caprice Classic Chevrolet station wagon. Because you could really fly as you're headed towards grandmother's. Yeah, it was an interesting experience. I also remember the um, invisible line that marked the difference between where I sat and where my sister sat. Now, personally, there was a uh, game that I played. It was called uh, Stop Touching Me, <laughs> which it was nothing that had to, I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was bug my sister so that she would say it over and over again. Stop touching me. Is it fair to say that in some capacity, the Israelites felt as if they were stuck in the silent game with God. I mean, when you, when you look at what the Israelites are doing, what the people of Israel are in the middle of, they have, it's not that God has been silent for a week or a month or a year. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking more than a decade. We're talking generations. And during this time, it's not as if it's been a storybook fairy tale existence. In the midst of this great silence, the Roman Empire comes and takes over, enforces their law, makes them subjects to all that the Roman Empire stands for. So in the midst of the silent game, there, there are no prophets that are coming. There's no word of God that's being spoken. All they have is the traditions of their religion. All they have is the holy scriptures that they can read, and they are stuck in a moment of waiting. Now, to be honest with you, I really prefer a more uh, microwave popcorn kind of a faith. I I'm not so sure I could wait that long. The difference between, I think, them and us is that they waited with hope. You see, sometimes we wait as if we're stuck in timeout. We wait as if there is a consequence that's coming. We wait as if the silence that is being given us is a direct response to the behaviors that we've acted out. But see, for the Israelites, they waited with hope. 
The scripture said, the prophets have said that one would come who would save them, a Messiah. And so the long amount of waiting was not overbearing, but rather was the wait for the hope to come. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but every week we've looked at a different first chapter of the Gospels, right? We looked at Matthew, we looked at Luke, we skipped Mark because he's kind of light in the terms of a a narrative for the birth. Um, And here we have John, right? Now, John, he's got a strange way of telling the nativity story, right? He doesn't start off telling you a, a hallmark, precious moments kind of story like we got last week uh, here on the chancel area from the children during the uh, early services children's pageant. But rather, John starts as a theologian. Uh, he begins to inform you that all of history began with creation through the Word, creation through Jesus that, that God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus were all present in the moments of creation, and that not one thing that we see in the world around us was not created through Christ. What, what John wants to do is to move us from the heart story of the nativity into a belief in what happens. And now, belief, sometimes we think of belief as a, a noun, But here in the Gospel of John, the Greek word for believe, which is a verb, is used 98 times. 98 times. John wants us to believe on Christ our Lord. Uh, John wants us to go and do good works and believe, right? But it's not belief as a possession that we have, maybe a holy fire insurance, if you will but rather believe is the way that we make sense out of all of the actions that we do as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. When you read the first chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, it sounds a lot like the first chapter of Genesis. It's intentional. In the beginning was the Word. Uh, um, You get this rhythm of creation, and you get this reminder that as uh, God um, creates Adam out of the clay of the ground, you remember that part of Genesis, right? Molds him together, breathes into him the breath of life. So too do we see in the Gospel of John images of how healing and creation happen not from some otherworldly source, but rather from the very dirt and the very uh, stones that are there uh, surrounding Jesus. He goes to heal the blind man. What does he do? He uh, scoops up dirt. He spits into his hand. He makes mud, and he places it on the blind man's eyes. No no need for otherworldly Harry Potter-esque magic. Not that I have anything wrong with Harry Potter. It's kind of fun. But it's the creation of God that heals the creation of God. See, John is very interested in us getting the idea that God who is um, unlimited, God who is eternal, God who is omnipotent, chooses to limit himself to become a baby. And so in the incarnation of God, uh, we also get the idea that very regular things become special things. So the bread and the wine of communion become more than bread and wine, and the water of baptism becomes more than just water. 
We begin to see that uh, in very mundane things like vines and branches and sheep and shepherds, we find the identity of Christ. We find the wonder and beauty of God. Now, uh, incarnation is a really important part of Christmas. It's an important part to think about the, the very vastness of God being put into a baby. Rich Mullins, a Christian contemporary artist back in the 80s and the 90s, uh, wrote a, a song about in, incarnation called Boy Like Me, Man Like You. And he kind of asks all those questions that I hope that we ask uh, about Jesus' life. Uh, Rich Mullins said, uh, did you grow up hungry? Did you grow up fast? Did the little girls giggle when you walked past? Did you wonder what it was that made them laugh? I grew up in Indiana. You grew up in Galilee. Did you wrestle with a dog? Did he lick your nose? Did you play beneath the spray of a water hose? Did you ever make angels in the winter snow? Did you ever get scared playing hide and seek? Did you try not to cry when you scraped your knee? Did you ever skip a rock? across a quiet creek. It's so easy for us to think of Jesus as being high and lifted up, do, but do we ever remember how very human he was? That the incarnation is about a God who is willing to limit himself to experience what life is like for us. And so we find that, um, that, that God lives into um, the laughter. God lives into the tears. God lives into simple things like the flu. God lives into hands and feet and eyes and ears and skin. God becomes like us. So our um, theme for the last couple of weeks has been uh, this uh, Jewish poem found in a basement of Cologne, in Cologne uh, when the Nazis were sweeping through and finding all of the hidden Jews. Uh, this one particular poem was written on a basement wall with a large um, uh, star of David, uh, and it said below it, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining, I believe in love even when I don't feel it, and I believe in God even when it appears that he's silent. Now, theologians would tell you that that's a, a great uh, representation of the dark night of the soul. It's a 13th century uh, poem written by St. John of the Cross, uh, talking about this distance and difficulty of being, uh, feeling as if you are far from God. It's about a, a dryness as a desert. It is about a separation from the one who gives life and love and beauty. And over the course of Christian history, many of the great saints have claimed to have had a dark night of the soul as well. You see, what's really strange about our culture of Christianity is we assume that if God is not talking to you, then you must have done something wrong. That, that, if, um, that if somehow you feel cut off from the confidence of salvation, then clearly there is sin that needs to be found inside of you and eradicated. We feel strongly that if we stay inside our gated community, that those people who feel far off from God won't infect us. But when we look, we find that uh, St. Teresa of Lisieux and uh, St. Paul of the Cross, and even, here's a name that you'll know, Mother Teresa of Calcutta experienced the dark night of the soul. In fact, according to letters that were released in 2007 about after her death, uh, 
um, most would believe uh, that she has documented the most extensive case of Dark Night of the Soul that's on record, lasting from 1948 until almost up to her death in 1997. Her confessor and friend, the Franciscan friar, Father Benedict Groeschel, said of Mother Teresa that for a large part of her life, she claimed that there was a darkness that kept God silent from her, and that about six months before her death, that that darkness lifted and that she felt reunited. You see, I, I really do believe that um, the dark night of the soul is not something to be terrified of, but rather just something to be experienced through. Uh, Emile Towns uh, told her pastors that she was training that they should set up a tent in the midst of suffering. That when suffering happens in the world, that, that Christians are to run to the suffering and be present in the middle of it. To not be afraid of the suffering that's around them, for they know a hope that is deeper and wider and more profound than the suffering that is present in the moment. You see, today uh, in churches, we find it's for, far more appropriate to be a tourist of suffering. We, we, we kind of wander through the neighborhood. We go to the regular spots. We buy a couple of trinkets. We get a t-shirt that says, I was here. And then we go back home to our safety. I mean, think about it. When the prayer list comes across your computer, we pray for those people who are having such difficult times. And maybe even in the end, we say a quick little prayer for ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that we're not like them. We think about the way that we are tourists in the midst of suffering. But see, uh, God doesn't call us to um, occasionally visit on a quarterly basis the places of suffering, but rather to go and move in and to be part of the neighborhood. It's one way that uh, the scripture passage that we've uh, talked about today talks about it, that God moves into the neighborhood, your neighborhood my neighborhood, the neighborhood of all those people who are not normal, who have uh, difficult dark clouds that follow them where they go, where if one car's not in the repair shop, then another one will be. Uh, if one family member isn't headed to the doctor, then another one will be. Maybe I'm just describing my own experience of the last couple of months. I really do believe it's a crass statement to say, but I believe that Christians should go to hell that Christians should go to the places of suffering, the places where people have no hope, where the fires are so powerful, where the pull of what is going on in their lives seems overwhelming, and remind them that there is hope, that the dark night of the soul ends and the dawn comes, that it is never, uh, uh, it's, it's always the darkest right before the dawn, and that we follow a God who loves deeply, so deeply, but he found himself in a barn uh, being cradled by an unwed mother, unsure of what the future might hold. I find it interesting that the most profound statements that we make about faith, we give to our children, right? We, we have our children do the children's pageant, and so they talk about this deep theological intertwining of divine and human. And, and we talk about how uh, those who celebrated his birth were the poor and the shepherds, right? The shepherds were not surprised that a baby might be born in a barn. It's probably how their children were born as well, as they gathered around in the smells and the sounds. It's powerful, that we ask our children to remind us of that story every year. 
So what does one do when they find themselves in the midst of the silence of a God who seems to be apparently absent? Uh, Theologian and poet Howard Thurman uh, set pen to paper and wrote about the work of Christmas, about the, the way in which we might unravel the silence of the moment and find ourselves outside of that dark night of the soul and instead in the morning of the sun. Thurman writes, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost and to heal the broken, to feed the hungry and to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations and to bring peace among brothers, to make music in the heart. N.T. Wright elaborates on the poem. He says, whatever we do in the present by painting or preaching or singing or sewing, by praying or uh, building hospitals or digging wells or campaigning for justice or writing poems or caring for the needy or loving your neighbor as yourself, we do those things in the present, but they speak the voice of God to those who are suffering. Friends, the darkness, the absence of love, the apparent silence of God, it's not because we have done wrong. It's not a, a, a tough love parenting style by God, but rather the silence may be because the rest of us have quit speaking the words of God. The rest of us have quit doing the sowing and the praying and the caring that maybe we have become tourists who travel through God's territory occasionally but heaven forbid should we take up shop and give our lives to it. It's almost as if we have lost the hope that reminds us of the work of God. You see, it's easy. If you're, uh, if you're like me, uh, I grew up with a, uh, a nightlight in my room as a five, six, and seven-year-old. And the worst thing that could ever happen is that light to go out. It's almost as if in the darkness of the world, we are unsure whether the light will come. And so John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. And what has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. And through discernment, we've uh, realized that uh, a three-year vision for us is to help uh, both adults and older adults uh, find that vital faith that allows for us to raise a generation in faith, recognizing that values are not taught, but rather they are caught. Uh, we're focusing on, for the next 12 months, uh, finding ways to tell that personal, powerful God story, to uh, be a community of high expectations, uh, to talk about that hope that was talked uh, in the sermon today, uh, about the hope in Jesus Christ uh, that is the fluency of our faith. 
Um, I hope that you will uh, join us in that project uh, by taking your next step. And a wonderful way that you could take a next step is to invite somebody to come and join you for Christmas Eve, whether it's four or seven or 11. We would love to have you bring a friend, uh, bring a family member, bring uh, someone that you think could get behind a project of raising a generation in faith. Uh, There's a lot of wonderful opportunities. There are invite cards out in the uh, narthex. If you'll ask an usher for them, they'll give them to you. I find it makes it easier inviting someone uh, as I'm talking to them to have something to give to them. Uh, It makes it feel, even for this preacher, a little less awkward. And so I hope that you'll be stepping out in faith, taking your next step uh, by sharing uh, the Christmas Eve schedule with others. Also, I think it's fair to say, as we've talked about the dark night of the soul for the last four weeks, um, Stephen ministers are a great next step if you find yourself in a place of dryness uh, or darkness. Um, Stephen ministers will gladly pray with you today uh, and help arrange care for you uh, in the future. Our closing hymn is, O Come All Ye Faithful, maybe? Yes, it is. All right. David, come and uh, lead us in that closing song. All right, I'm going to stand over here, but y'all grab uh, hands for our closing benediction, and I'm going to mark the place until a Stephen minister can get here. Uh, This is a great place where you can get prayer and also arrange for care. Uh, Let's bow for a word of prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks that even in the darkness of night, the dawn is coming. Remind us, Lord, that as we journey towards that barn, that manger in Bethlehem, that the best gift we could ever imagine will be born right there, Jesus Christ, the the Savior of the world, and our Messiah. Send us out to tell the story to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.